I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. Going to close the show tonight with Meet the DJ, where we talk with one of the volunteers here at KRCL. Listeners, Community Radio of Utah turns 42 on December 3rd, and we couldn't do any of it without volunteers, some of whom have spent just about every week sharing music from their own collections with you. I've got them. Hi, y'all. It's Brian Kelm from Monday Night's Red, White, and Blues program, 8 to 10.30, over uh, 41 years since March of 1980. Almost since day one, Brian Kelm. Yeah, about three months after we signed on the air. What prompted you to come down to the station, and what condition was the station in? Is it similar to what we're going through now, trying to rebuild? Well, yes and no. Technology's <laughs> different. It was similar to how we're rebuilding, but it was a little bit different with duct tape and some, you know, soldering iron and certainly wasn't digital back in March of 1980. But I was in, um, I started in the fall of 79 in journalism, mass communications with an emphasis on radio broadcasting. I'd, I'd always had a fascination since I was a little kid of being into radio and I got tired of the late 70s garbage that had been on the radio compared to that which was being played in the late 60s early 70s which was so phenomenal and I figured geez I even got the name for a radio station I can be (laughs) K-E-L-M so I thought I was destined for that but as it was I'm, I'm taking this intro to um mass communications and my professor at the U, Tim Larson said, Hey, there's a new radio station. I just heard about, um, happening here in salt Lake. It's called KRCL. It's at 90.9 FM. And, uh, they had just signed on. And so this was like January, I believe of 1980. And, you know, I, I thought about it and then I finally went in um, in March when I had some time, about two months after I heard about it and talked with, um, I believe it was even Donna land. Um, if I recall, and they said, I said, I I love blues and I'd love to play blues on this radio station. They said, great. What are you doing this Thursday night? And I said, nothing. They said, you're on. (laughs) <laughs> and a little bit of trivia, um, I started, I think it was 10 or 10.30 until I wanted to turn the lights off and shut down the transmitter. So usually about midnight, sometimes if, you know, I didn't have a lot of homework and I didn't have to get up early the next Friday, it was 1 a.m. But Fret and Fiddle was on just before me, something in the 8 to 10-ish range. Um, and then, of course, they moved to Sundays. And I was on following them Thursday nights. And after about, it wasn't long, maybe a year or so, um, I was moved to Monday nights. But uh, it started off as uh, the Great Basin Blues. Well, it, it initially started off as Kelmy's Blues. My nickname uh, for time immemorial has been Kelmy. And so I, I didn't know any better and i'm thinking well i don't know Kelmy's blues but the station didn't want title specific names of programs to a certain person 
because that person invariably would leave a month, six months, two years later, and they wanted more generic names like Sagebrush Serenade and Breakfast Jams, things like that, where the DJ could change. So in short order, I think it was only a, a couple of weeks, it was known as Kelmy's Blues. All of a sudden, I see in the little newspaper newsletter that KRCL started doing that my show was called Great Basin Blues. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. It's kind of nice. Didn't have any input on it, but I like it. Well, guess who did that? Who, who would have been the most tied to the land of Utah? And in fact, her last name is that. But Donna <laughs> Land actually christened the name of Great Basin Blues. Donna Land, one of the uh, big names in KRCL's history. Uh, yeah. The station for and then decades. that morphed into, that lasted about 10 years. I moved to Alaska for a summer to work on the Exxon Valdez oil spill and came back and Great Basin Blues uh, was taken over by Red, White and Blues by Truman. And so actually a, a couple of people, Dave Spencer, J.R. Rokic, Truman. Um, so they took my time slot and then I started alternating with them and broadcasting live broadcasts from the Dead Goat Saloon the last Monday of the month. And then Truman, of course, left for the Big Island, and then I resumed doing it again full time. You just couldn't let it go, could you, Brian? You went to uh, Alaska, Exxon Valdez oil spill. What was that about? Tell us about your time there. Well, I had just gotten out of law school and had started practicing law, so to speak, with a small law firm. I wasn't really digging it. I was a little bit disenchanted. And at that time, uh, spring of 89, I believe the Exxon Valdez oil spill happened. Well, I was, I, I had always had a fascination with Alaska. I wanted to go there, knew I'd be going there in short order. And this was just a prompt. It was a sign. So I decided to go up there to do anything I could, whether it was washing ducks or whatever, and work on the Exxon Valdez oil spill with my best friend, Scott Johnson. And he was a carpenter. He got up there, did carpentry work, made a killing. I went up there just wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and I started teaching a safety class because I had a little bit of teaching experience. I was an attorney and an EMT. So that all played well into teaching this safety class, how to be safe on the Exxon Valdez oil spill, which of course I knew nothing about, but I sat in a bunch on the safety training class and had some training myself. And then before long, in a week, week and a half, I was teaching this four-hour class that anybody who worked on the Exxon Valdez oil spill had to take and get the certificate. It was this OSHA-approved course. And then the next summer, I went up there, and I helped an attorney, Bill Bixby, represent fishermen against Exxon for their fishing losses. So you morphed at some point from mass comm and DJ to the law. The law and the blues have been constants in your life, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, those two things, absolutely. That's exactly right. And you've figured out how to, to make them serve you and your interests. And um, I'm kind of curious about sticking with KRCL for nearly 41 years. You know, a couple summers off to go 
to Alaska or to uh, go surf around the world or something like that. But why do you keep coming back? Yeah, well, um, that's a good question. Uh, so many people through law school, especially, were blown away that I was still doing it. They're like, God, I, I can't believe you do. I'm like, hey, it's my savior. It's great. It's not billable it. hours, I though, Brian. <laughs> Sorry? It's not billable hours, though. No, it's not at all. I can't tell you how much money I've lost because of blues, but it's more than made up for it in the, the joy that I get in disseminating it because it's such a passion I have. And I, I just so look forward to turning on the audience to, um, to, to blues. Initially it was, there was so little new blues coming out in the 80s and even into the 90s. And so I was playing a lot of, you know, the classics, B.B. King and Howlin' Wolf and Sonny Boy Williamson and Elmore James. And, and Lord knows I love them more than anything. And I wish I could play more of them. But as time went on and it became easier to produce CDs, I started playing and largely now just play new blues artists because it does no good for B.B. King or Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters to play their music right now. I mean, arguably, sure, maybe their estate gets a few pennies. But if you don't know who B.B. King and Muddy Waters are by now, go to YouTube and, and check it out, man, because I need to, in my precious two and a half hours, play music by touring current musicians who are struggling out there to make a name for themselves and to get people to their gigs. So I want to support them and turn people on to what's happening in the blues today. And yes, I sneak in a, a, a classic once in a while, but 90, 93.78% of my show is going to be currently touring blues artists that I'm trying to support and help. We'll talk about that a bit because you've gone on to form the Utah Blues Society. You have a blues cruise that you also lead. And I want to hear how that's been affected by the pandemic. But tell me, how big is your music collection since you started this back in 1980? And I'm guessing already had a bit of a collection in order to come down and, and play music as well as what was coming into the station. But tell us, you know, vinyl, CD, 8-track, digital, how many songs would you say you have? Oh, geez, probably. Well, that's a multifaceted question. How many songs do I have right now? Um, close to probably 10,000. Um, and then that includes CDs that I've now put on my, my MacBook Pro. So I'm, I'm trying to do, like many people, trying to whittle down and create more space in my house by getting rid of CDs and just putting them on my computer. And records, I did the same a little bit. I still own, I only have probably 50 vinyl because for me, I'm not one of these vinyl, you know, aficionados. I think it's a pain in the ass, frankly, to get up and flip the record every 15 to 20 minutes. So I'm more of a CD guy where I can listen for an hour and not have to deal with changing something. And then cassettes is where I really started back in 1980 at the Blue Mouse at the original KRCL studio. I had just a few records 
but I had a gazillion cassettes and I still have a ton of classic cassettes, but I, I don't play them on the, on the radio because they're low sound quality. And I listened to probably, I like just yesterday, I listened to four new CDs, many of which are going to get one or two songs off of them for airplay. Some of which will get repeated airplay because they're really strong, like you know, Kingfish's brand new CD, Carolyn Wonderland, the guitar player I just saw with John Mayall up at the Park City Egyptian Theater. She's got a new CD on Alligator Records, phenomenal, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I listened to four, at least 400 CDs every stinking year. And I listened to every track because these artists spent a lot of time and money to produce this CD that they're very proud of. And I want to give them the respect they deserve. So I listen to every CD I get and I listen to every song. Now, not every song, of course, can or will make it on the radio, but I at least give it a shot. So uh, it's just takes so much time. And a lot of these CDs that I will put in the KRCL library, which is only about 20, if that, 15 to 20 a year, will go into the permanent KRCL library uh, because we only have so much room and only have so much time to play them. But I'll spend multiple lis listenings on those CDs and I make notes, handwritten notes about every track on those primo uh, CDs. And it, it's... Uh, <laughs> It just takes a lot of time, man. Well, that's and, that's uh, got to be a labor of love, then, Brian, because for forty-one years you're a practicing lawyer. That means you are all in, and will continue to be. Where does where does Red, White, and Blue sit in the blues community? You, you know, Utah, the country, around the globe. Because I'm guessing you've got fans, much like Talakola does on Sunday nights, and the community it serves all around the world. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I got a bunch in Europe. Um, I'm, I'm a uh, main stage MC on every blues cruise, and I've made connections via that with people all over the world. Um, I was blessed by getting uh, an international uh, blues award. Uh, it's the Blues Music Award for non-performing artists called the KBA, Keeping the Blues Alive, which is given to uh, about 8 to 12 people every year in Memphis. Um, and three years ago, I was, I was graciously awarded one of those, um, which gave a lot of visibility to Utah and the Utah Blues Festival and to KRCL. Um, but people just, I just saw Kingfish here. Um, and, you know, he hears about the Utah Blues Festival, which he played at three years ago before he was he was anybody, really. Nobody had, had heard of him, but Trip Hopkins and I had on the blues cruise and otherwise, and we said, we got to get this guy before he goes big. Well, he played the depot on a Sunday night to about four or 500 people. That's just mind-blowing. Um, so in trying to cultivate these, these newer artists, that's a, that's a big thing that we try to do with the, with the Blues Society and with the Blues Festival. And yeah, speaking of other artists who were just through town, the legendary John Mayall was just through town and his guitar player, Carolyn Wonderland, out of, out of Austin, Texas, 
played the Dead Goat Saloon um, back in the day on my live radio broadcast, the Blue Devils Blues Review broadcast the last Monday of the month. And she was like, yeah, what's going on with the Dead Goat? I go on the blues cruise. Any of the old time uh, blues artists that have been around a while, they always ask about the Dead Goat Saloon and the Zephyr Club. And um, they're legendary clubs. And there were legendary shows there by the best of the best throughout the 80s and 90s. It's a, it's a heartbreak to think of those. You and I have been around long enough to have seen so many shows there, uh, played shows there. But the new KRCL that's starting to take shape, our location associated with and supported by Give Group, and which owns the union, uh, I'm thinking there's going to be a great opportunity to do live blues shows again. Is that something that tantalizes you as we start to envision the future of KRCL and coming out of this pandemic as a community? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a natural marriage. And that's that's one of the first things I thought when I heard we we're moving right next to a live music venue. I, I thought, well, how perfect is that? We should resume some some live music broadcasts. They they generate such a buzz and such a great interest, both to people that come down because they want to be a part of that live experience. Or if you got stuck with the kids or you're under the weather, you know, you can tune in in the comfort of your own home. So it really cuts both ways. And back in the day at the Dead Goat Saloon, we had innumerable people that said, yeah, I was just listening on the radio and heard this killer blues that was broadcasting live at the Dead Goat Saloon. So I came down. What is it about hearing the blues live that just takes it up a notch from listening to, say, Red, White, and Blues on Monday nights? Yeah, you know, you can make an argument that, oh, well, listening to jazz, it's so much better live and, and bluegrass and rock. And, and I'm not going to argue that, but I will argue that there is no better way to hear blues than live. It is a very visceral, raw, emotional genre of music, which cannot be faked, cannot be flubbed. And when it's done right, it's easy to play. Blues is super easy to play. It's like harmonica, it's easy to play. It's really hard to play top shelf though. And that goes for blues and harmonica and of course any instrument. But when it's done right, and when you hear a top shelf artist, it just rips at your heartstrings and makes, I, I've, I see people cry, I see people laugh, I see people in a trance in just like this, this deer in the headlights days that are just mesmerized by it. Um, and the artists just always give especially when they do 110%, it can't be beat. There's nothing more powerful than killer live blues. And that is Brian Kelm, host of Red, White, and Blues, Monday nights, 8 o'clock to 10.30, right here on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and that is our show for tonight. I hope you have a great holiday weekend with those that you love, or at least you like, and don't talk politics. Check tonight's show notes for the last two weeks of Brian's show, On Demand, made possible by listeners like you who support krcl.org. Let's go out with a song handpicked by Brian Kelm. Hey, how about, um, you know, I talked about Kingfish a little bit, and he's he's really on the up and up. He's uh, what everybody's calling the future of the blues. 
22 years old, uh, just three years out of high school, and he just came out with his sophomore release on the venerable Alligator Records label. And uh, he did this song live uh, the other Sunday at the depot. And um, man, he is just sounding so good. He, after Buddy Guy, I mean, he's about it. You got your Buddy Guy and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Joe Bonamassa. Well, you, you can now put this kid in there. Chris Tone, Kingfish Ingram, and the title track from his brand new CD just came out this late summer. 662, and that refers to the area code of his home digs of Clarksdale, Mississippi. I come from a 